0: Bye.
1: Welcome to The Hotspot, I'm your host, Armand fuli Jamandi. Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2022, and we're starting off with a bonus episode for you for the new year. This episode's guest hosted by Gristle King, a.k.a. Nick. Uh, Nick is a prominent Helium community member. He creates tons of awesome guides and resources to help hotspot hosts understand their hotspot and optimize their earnings. Nick is also the winner of Helium's 2021 Nobel Award for Most Valuable Community Member, so huge congrats to Nick. Well-deserved. Please show him some love by checking out his website and his Twitter in the episode description. In this episode, Nick interviews Frank Mong, COO of Helium Inc., Frank last joined us on this podcast on episode 4, and now he's back to discuss his thoughts on network scaling, 5G partnerships, and what Helium is doing to prevent illegitimate miners from gaming HNT rewards. Just a quick heads up that this is an audio-only episode, so if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to listen in a background tab, there's not going to be much to see. Please enjoy this episode, and I will be back with more exciting content soon.
0: Okay, the guest today is Frank Mong, the uh, COO, if I'm getting that right, uh, at Helium. Frank, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped to have you on and to uh, go through and ask a, a bunch of questions. Um, Would Let's start by kind of getting an idea of how you got to Helium. I know you got a BS in electrical and computer engineering. You went to what was it, UC Davis, and it seems as if you kind of have this dual, uh, like, I don't know, kind of career flow of like halfway geek and then halfway business development. I'm sure there's a bunch (laughs) of like details in there. Is that how you think yourself?
2: Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. Actually, you're asking, no one's ever asked me that before. I I would say that I've always been curious about technology. I'm definitely not worthy to be considered a geek. Um, I I guess I would call myself a, a poser. That's like a Gen X term,
0: yeah, uh, I remember that. I'm, term. Not,
2: <laughs> I'm not a real, not a real geek. I wish I was, um, but the team at Helium are, are truly one of a kind and amazing geeks, um, and I wish I could be like them. So, yeah, I did study, uh, you know, electrical engineering, computer engineering, from um, from a college perspective. But I think I think my calling in life has always been. Hustling. I guess that's the best way to put it. Hustling and and looking for angles. Um, I've always been curious about systems, not just technology systems, but social systems, political systems, hierarchies. And I think by nature, I love disrupting existing hierarchies and figuring out how to topple systems. That's sort of my natural curiosity
0: uh, did you ever think about going and working for the government doing cia spy stuff and seeing if you can disrupt <sighs> companies that way or is that not your gig at all
2: i've always thought about it actually it's um but i think it's like every kid's sort of curiosity and imagination and you know dream to be a spy or something but i think i would make the worst spy on earth <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep a secret you know you don't have to threaten me i'll just tell you everything
0: Right, that's just it's easier that way if, if we're just open with information. <laughs> exactly. That kind of begs this question that is really around the um this the core of of this conversation, as I'd like to do it is there's this ethos of of openness and also decentralization that I'm seeing Helium is the pioneer of, um, and a lot of the questions that people have around Helium and and why it's doing this or why it isn't doing that seem to be answered. By this this kind of decentralization, like, hey, there's a lot of, of buyer beware in here. And there's also a lot of ways of of building a system um, that we're exploring that have never been built before. Can you talk about what is really different about Helium as it as kind of a company building this decentralized really network uh, from a, a normal company just building and selling stuff?
2: You know, I think the most unique aspect of helium and the and it's the company. Uh, even a mission I would say is the is actually the the people like the founder Amir Haleem Sean Fanning b- incredibly unique personalities and when you have such one of a kind or once in a generation type of geek I guess you can call them sure you, you, you tend to attract very like minded people and so we, we do have you know lots of companies will say that they have an elite group of technical people i and i've been at lots of different companies in my past career it's 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 definitely a, a difficult subjective point of view but I, I think the the team that amir has assembled on the technology side is truly elite there are they i cannot think of people who can do what they do in the combination of factors they deal with. And so I think that's what makes Helium unique. The open source and decentralization approach, oddly enough, comes from necessity. And I think part of that is the fact that the team we have contributes to other open source projects comes from distributed systems, backgrounds, Really helps us think about things in a slightly different way, it, and it. But doesn't mean that we know what we're doing from the get go. Like if you look at Helium's, you know, past, we'll be, we've been around for eight years now since twenty thirteen. The company attempted to build a centralized system from the beginning. You know, the mission has always been the same at Helium: let's build a a, a network that is global and connects every. IoT thing and everyone to the internet in as easy a way as possible, as, as cheap, as low cost as possible. And, and you know, when, when the company first started, we went through that process of trying to do this in a centralized way. And it wasn't until, I think, the surrounding environment forced us to think differently when we actually jumped in to the the idea of decentralization and open source um, uninhibited. And that's because we tried. We tried everything. We tried centralization. We tried building our own network. We tried verticalized um, applications and platforms. We tried to build it, build it all. And through that experience and the fact that you know we were running out of money and we only had one more shot at this, you know, It was do or die. And so I think those circumstances, you know, forced us to get out of our own way in a sense and just do what we believe in. And that is we can't build this ourselves, but we could enable the world to work with us. And the fastest way to do that is to come up with the right incentive model and open source it all. And that is sort of... Those sort of tenants and the goal of creating the network as number one, like keeping that in mind as always the goal, just building the network, forget everything else, sacrifice everything else, I think in this case, directed us to make the best decision possible. And that is to open source the technology, give it all away and build an incentive model that is geared to to funding the network growth and build out. And you see that in our, you know, Genesis block. You see that with the distribution of the tokens compared to other blockchain companies and programs. As a company, we probably hold the least (laughs) amount of tokens. We're not like, you know, majority shareholders or... You
0: know. No, it was that thirty-three percent, thirty-four percent goes to helium uh, security tokens. Vol HNT produce them.
2: And, and those the majority of those belong to investors in the company, the people that you know put put money in and believed in the mission. So, as an entity, the company itself has very little. Ah, okay, so yeah,
0: that makes sense. So the, the whatever the employees or the owners of the company. Don't have a ton of that slice. No. Most of that goes to the investors. Okay.
2: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Right. They put up. They put up the funds to keep the lights on. So. Right.
0: And you were a, a part of, of raising those funds. That's kind of your your thing. Was going out and hustling and finding the funds and saying, "Hey, give us a chunk of money and we're going to do rad things with it."
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, Amir. I would say that Amir is the spearhead of that. You know, um, he's incredible at fundraising, uh, and I I learned from him, and I you know compliment what he envisions and we, we go out and we, we hunt.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's a, it's a fun thing, right? There's like all these different fun things you can do in a business, whether it's developing technical stuff or answering questions or helping people or, or raising money and kind of making sure the business stays alive. Do you think you're going to, you guys are going to have to raise more?
2: We don't need to, uh, thankfully, even, even with the, uh, you know, small amount of, tokens we have if we had to survive. Think, just thinking from like a survival standpoint, we don't need to. I think um, strategically, raising money um, for the right reasons, to, to, to help us go faster, to you know raising money to um, better compete with the establishment, um, that, those are good reasons to go raise money, you know, if the climate's right. So I, I would argue that while we don't need to raise money, if, you know, if all the pieces are there and the use of funds is for a necessary cause strategically, then we should raise more money.
0: Right. So uh, that kind of would we'll jump straight into the 5G stuff then is, is outside of the usual M and mvno relationships like the the kind of the big operators what other partners uh do you guys see being interested in, in helium's kind of 5g play
2: you know we've talked to a lot of folks we've talked to um a lot of tier one mnos tier one mnos for uh those that are listening that don't know what that means it's the uh the cellular operators you know not just the united states but uh around the world so there's lots of cellular operators around the world you we all know those names right that they, they do a great job of marketing it: at&t verizon t-mobile deutsche Telekom, you know vodafone etc so i think the good news is we've drawn attention to ourselves so those large cellular companies know who we are We've talked to many of them, both the, the tier ones that I mentioned, as well as tier twos who are more regionalized. Um, and we've also talked to cable operators. C- cable operators are actually the people that you might subscribe to for your broadband, like sure. Xfinity or Cox Communications or you know, Charter. You know, in sort of one way or another, we've spoken to them both on the IoT side because some of them actually have IoT businesses, some of them actually do use LoRaWAN, um, and so talking to Helium makes a lot of sense uh, from that point of view. And then, of course, on the five G side, it you know it's interesting, and I think there's a lot of curiosity from them on our approach, the state of where we are in five G, and where we're you know where we're going with that, and how and how they could either leverage it or if they should consider it as competitive, so I think I think we're early, you know, both as an ecosystem, right, Helium Network, as well as a company, uh, where I think from their vantage point, they're they're getting a lot, they're hearing a lot of noise. There's a lot of people, you know, talking about Helium, which is great. Their own employees are probably mining H and T, so it's good for helium's ecosystem. But I I think they're, you know, in conversations with them, they're still learning about us as an ecosystem, and I think they're trying to, you know, think through how they should play this. Like, are we, are we a potential leverage point for them moving forward? Short term, long term. Or are we, you know, an existential threat, short term, long term? So I think that's and that's how most large companies sort of think and evaluate the the market dynamics. So, um, but overall, I would say it's been very positive and cordial conversations. <clears throat> you know, partners like Dish Networks have been very forward thinking. Right. Oh, yeah. I think out of yeah, I mean, out of all the different conversations we've had, I have to say, you know, uh, Charlie Ergen and Chris Ergen, uh and, and Max at the Team uh, Dish Networks have been incredibly forward-thinking and you know very 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 aggressive in trying to think out of the box and execute. And so, you know, kudos to them. Um, they believe in helium. They, they love it.
0: They've certainly been following it. I know that uh, Charlie's no dummy, and if he's if he's getting into this, then uh, it's probably a, a great long term play for anyone. <laughs>
2: I hope he's right. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I've I've heard helium mentioned in um, conversations with with giant telecom people with uh, Carlos Halu. I mean, he he knows about helium. Um, I don't, I'm sure you guys have talked to him, but I've I've heard it kind of publicly out there. So, you know, I see the network getting getting giant and it's really cool to watch this this kind of play execution that you guys just repeat as you figure out how to work with someone and augment or help their network and then you let them onto your network as as part of that Um, whether that's senate or or any of the kind of partners or folks you've worked it's a really cool play to to make over and over again and it's it's hard to fail that way it looks like from the outside at least
2: it's certainly a leap of faith even for us right we we weren't sure if, if any of this would work. I think the piece that we were very sure of was the wireless piece. Amir has spent, and his team on the dev side have spent, you know, literally eight years just uh, trial and error on LoRaWAN and other uh, wireless protocols. And so, from I would say an IoT perspective and low bandwidth, uh, long range. Very skilled, very skilled at the wireless piece, which is which is a dark art for most folks. Oh, it's man, a very yeah. difficult. It's a very. I, I would say wireless technology is a very difficult engineering effort for anyone. So any engineers that listen to your show would agree with me. Like signals and systems are just so hard, um, mathematically, but also conceptually, from a, both analog and digital perspective. And I I certainly struggled with that in college, Um, but the team, the team of hackers that we have are just incredibly, just, just incredibly smart around this area. You guys
0: have germ on there. That, that dude is (laughs)
2: like
0: a a single-handed wrecking machine when it comes to awesome (laughs) code and radio.
2: (laughs) It's crazy. I know. (laughs) yeah we were very lucky to like i said attract um talent just amazing talent talented folks and great people as well on top of that uh, but but i i would say that the wireless pieces is, is you know rock solid and then we've just been very very i would say surgical in our blockchain ex- execution it's certainly challenging yeah. um scaling a distributed ledger like this um, I don't think anyone has attempted you know four hundred thousand nodes all like spinning the blockchain and communicating it's using using nine you know sub gigahertz technology to communicate the blockchain ledger. It just seems ridiculous
0: yeah i th- I think that's something that gets skipped over by folks who are either either new or even who've been with helium for a while is that it a, it doesn't seem like anyone has done anything like this before. B. This is kind of not how this technology was was envisioned to be used. Maybe at, at this like no, scale. That's um, right. And C. I don't think you guys. I mean, I think you take enforced days off on the weekend, but I don't think you guys are taking vacations.
2: <laughs> no. That, that's a problem for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just this scale of you know a, a distributed ledger like this uh, with you know four hundred thousand nodes and. Thank, thankfully, we have validators about you know, close to three thousand validators on the network now.
0: Yeah, I thought it was going to be eight hundred. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Where's my returns? They're gone. <laughs> yeah, I know, man.
2: Who knew? Yeah, it just we we couldn't predict some of this stuff, right? Um, yeah. But I think I think the incentive model for the most part is working well. Um, I don't think it's perfect. I think there's some improvements that the community can implement hopefully you know will implement um but but i think i think overall the system um for now is doing what it needs to do to incentivize hotspot miners to stay plugged in stay online and the beauty of this is you know when amir said hey we just need to build a network bootstrap that and then the applications will come well they're coming so Hopefully all your listeners who are mining HT with hotspots, keep that thing running, man. It's it's working. You know, we've got Senate Actility. These are I know these are not names that are household names, but they are like the two world's largest lower like private networks.
0: Yeah, they're not when small.
2: You, they're not small. When you have two the largest private, you know lower WAN networks roam onto helium. When I say roaming onto helium, it literally means their sensors from their customers could could be near your hotspot and your hotspot's going to transfer that data for them and you're going to mine more H&T. That that's, that's, a, that's a huge deal. Why is that a huge deal? Because Senate and Actility have spent the last eight years or 10 years recruiting large industrial customers like Volvo Group. We all know Volvo Cars. Well, Volvo is a massive company that does more than just build cars. They have industrial shipping and trucking and all kinds oh. of equipment. And that the, the Volvo Group equipment uses Wan. They use Actility as their network provider and Actility cannot provide coverage alone. That's enough for them. So they're roaming on the helium. Helium. So, it's,
0: it's it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. And I think it's, you know, a lot of us are coming in, myself included, and I bet most people come into Helium and have this, a very similar path, right? You discover it, you're open to crypto and blockchain in some way. You see someone down the street making uh, what appears to be a ton of money. And, and then first you don't believe it. And then you realize like, man, maybe that, that is pretty awesome. Uh, and then you get into it and you still have no idea about how LoRa works or radio in general or cryptography or, you know, the kind of deepness of the blockchain. And as you go through the whole process, you just learn more and more and you realize that the kind of staggering scope of an effort like this. So it's, yeah, it's pretty cool that I feel like you guys are all working for free for me. It's like, I've got these rad <laughs> employees, the best people in the business are all working for me and I just get paid for it. So. I think it's a cool perspective. One thing I wanted to dig into was this idea of like the rewards working. Um, I'm sure when people hear that, they're going to be like, ah, they're not working for me. I'm getting 0.01 HNT and helium needs to do something about oversaturation. So this goes back to like the decentralization ethos for me that helium is built on. Can you talk about my guess is why helium itself won't do anything about that, and how you expect that problem to be solved.
2: So what's interesting about this conversation is it leads me to it verifies sort of some, some of my thinking, which is, I don't think even our community realizes that we don't own the network. <laughs> this does not belong to helium. It literally belongs. To to them, each individual with a hotspot, they own the network. So when you say helium, go do something about it. It's kind of like, well, what do you? <laughs> this is your network. What do you want me to do about it? Right. We we open source the technology. We gave away the intellectual property uh, and ownership to the the community, the, the DY, which is a governing body that's you know really run by the community. How do we, you know, helium can do things, certainly, right? Because we are the creators of this, but we no longer own it. And so changes, um, if, if the community isn't happy with, you know, things like saturation or how the network looks and neighbors too close, I mean, go go ride a hip. You know, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I know Amir is going to like yell at me. But li- literally, like, go write a hip, which is a helium improvement process, on you know, GitHub. Submit that and ask the community to vote on it.
0: Right. So let's let's make some distinctions. There is that Helium Inc. does have control over the blockchain because they're the ones that actually execute the hips. But they're basically the way you guys are thinking of it is that you guys just do what the community tells you to do. Yes. Okay. And then there's also other stuff on the, maybe not a total back end, like it's not super secret, but there's just lots of problems that you guys are solving as, as a group that is interested in the health of the the network. Um, but there's plenty of problems that you just don't have the capacity or, or bandwidth, or I guess the mandate to solve. Is that, is that right? Or am I missing some part of that?
2: I think, I think the best way to think about this for everyone listening is that we are the creators of this airplane. We got it to fly. Everyone is jumping on board with us as passengers. We've open sourced the plane. So it belongs to all the passengers. We, however, we are because we are the creators, we're probably the most knowledgeable about how, how the entire plane works and it flies. And as we're flying, the number one priority is to not crash, like literally right. not crash right. so that we all survive, right? And so that, so everyone in the community should just sort of put that in their head. The goal is to, all, to not crash this thing <laughs> so that we all can live, all right? right? So let's keep the thing flying. That's number one. And just so everyone understands, keeping it flying is incredibly hard. It's so complicated to keep this thing flying because as we add more and more folks, right, uh, that join the network and join the plane, you know, it gets heavier. uh, You need more fuel. You got to, like, expand the capacity and the wings. And so we're literally retrofitting the engine, the wings, uh, the capacity of the plane so that everyone can join all the while not crashing. So when you, when you think about that, Nick, and I know you, you love the sky. <laughs> when you think yeah, about that, yeah. right. When you're flying and you're trying to fix and you're, you're literally trying not to crash all at the same time. And you're adding pieces, dude, it's, it's a hairy situation, but that's sort of, you know, that's how these things go. Eventually we'll get into a point where, um, it's more predictable. It's, you know, more stable, um, other priorities can surface and and we can address certain things sure. at certain times. but I think I think it's important for uh, everyone to just understand, hey, you know what? everyone's happy. We, the, the entire network loves the fact that we have more and more folks joining us. Um, no question. but to keep this plane flying is not easy. And the goal for everyone, and, and this is what we said from the very, very beginning, Day one, the goal is to build a network that is incredibly useful. And if this network becomes, you know, global and it's everywhere and it's used like for everything, then the value of the network will naturally just increase over time. And that value is what everyone wants to capture. Sure. So I wouldn't focus, and, and it's hard. I know it's easy to just say, oh, I only mined 0. 0.5, 0.1. Well, Nick, if you started with us in the beginning, you were mining 1, 2, 3, 10 H&T. That value of H&T at the time was zero, dude. Yeah. yeah so
0: yeah. What,
2: so you, you've, you mined 100 h over the last month. at That's worth zero. Great. Good for you. Good for you, Nick, yeah. right? You. Good luck with that. But that's sort of what people were saying to us, right? Yep. Yeah. But, but a year later, li- literally, maybe a year and a half later, right? Now you're mining. Maybe you're getting a fraction or a decimal point of an HNT. But that value is no longer zero, people. No longer zero. And it's as, as the network grows and more devices use the network and roam on helium, that value will only go up. Because it's useful, it's real, and it's practical for everyone to use the network, especially large volumes of sensors from industrial use cases. That's like that's that's how everyone should be thinking, and it's hard. I get it, because hey, I, I've waited forever for a stupid hotspot, I finally got it, and now I'm mining, you know, fraction of or decimal point of an HNT. Just, just, I know it's, it's frustrating. I'm with you there, but don't forget when it were, when it was a year ago, dude, it didn't matter if you mined a hundred HNT didn't matter because it was worth zero.
0: Yeah. Ah, Maybe a year and a half ago, but yeah, there's a a funny story about that. And I think all the folks who've been in helium long enough had the same story is that I think I was talking, I won't say his name, but he had been in early on, you know, when, when a a miner was earning over a thousand HNT a week. And he was having this argument. It was last January, maybe a little bit before, maybe more than a year and a half ago, um, with this guy. And there was no exchange that held HNT. So you couldn't buy it and sell it on exchange. And this guy was didn't want to pay a like a buck fifty. And then you know the buyer didn't want to pay that. And the seller didn't want to, you know, sell for less than a dollar seventy. And so he kind of fast forwarded December 17th. And, and I'm not a Helium employee, so I can certainly talk about the price. Um, it's it's at least not a dollar seventy for an HNT. So I think where this thing is going is you know, and I'll make this public prediction. Maybe I'm totally wrong, um, but this is what I've been saying to my clients. I think HNT is going over a thousand. Um, and you don't obviously have to comment on that. But
2: I mean, Nick, I hope you're right. Yeah, I hope you're right. But but just say so just for context, I, I I had no idea. Like I I didn't know we we're gonna be here. No clue. No. It just right. If I if I could predict this, and I you know probably wouldn't be working now. But you know, like everyone else this is this is a highly risky you know venture you yeah. got to do your own research and you got to make your own decisions right so um having said that as long as the the team at helium and our ecosystem continues to focus on what's most important i think then everyone everyone will benefit because The nature of our blockchain and incentive model is very specific. It's to build wireless networks. And as a wireless network becomes more and more useful, then our incentive mechanisms become more valuable. So that's the key. So everyone should just focus on, hey, how do we get more sensors on helium? How do we get more, you know, folks building CBR's 5G networks. So how do we get more people using that and switching? Th- those are the efforts that I think the entire helium community, if we all just focused on that, we we can make a ton more progress. We've made a ton of progress already, Nick. That's incredible, yeah. But there's so much more to go. It's so early, you know?
0: It, it is, yeah. It's, it's hard to get that across. So let's see. I, I've got a question. Just, I mean, you've been in helium for a while. How do you think the, the problem of... I think of this as the green dots and green lines problem is that if you look at a map, uh, the explore map right now, you see a bunch of green dots or clusters on the big yeah. cities and the towns, LA, Boston, San Francisco, etc. There's no green lines on the highways connecting San Diego mm-hmm. to Las Vegas or Las Vegas to wherever. Yeah. How do you guys see that that kind of green line problem gets solved?
2: So this is where I think, like when I mentioned flying the plane, these, these are things that we can do and we should be doing, for example, we, we should be thinking as a team, especially on my team, what my team does is the, the go-to-market side, the business development, sales and marketing, um, what we should be doing is thinking about how do we get alternative, alter, alternate backhaul into harder-reach places, whether it be at freeways or rural areas that could use a network, and that could be incredibly you know, useful
0: OK. And when you're saying back call, you just mean that's the internet.
2: Internet. How do, we, how do we get the internet to places that do not have it? <laughs> and, and likely won't, because there's very, very few people live there, right? And so naturally, infrastructure is not going to exist. How do we get it there? And what we've been doing is thinking about this in a slightly different way and not focused on traditional terrestrial approaches. I'll only say that think satellite backhaul. Sure. That's how we solve this.
0: That's how you solve the the coverage problem for the highways.
2: Yes. As well as, by the way, rural rural areas, right? Farming areas, uh, high, high like fire, uh, high fire locations, which are always middle of nowhere. Think, Think about how do we solve some major problems related to wildfire, uh, w- related to aggregation, uh, air, sorry, agriculture needs, yep. um, high, highway, like you said, like highway needs where there's no, com- no connectivity.
0: Got it. Okay. Cause I've, I've been thinking like, how do you put, um, and I think I've recently been approached by a company that owns a, a million billboards. And so if they, they've been thinking like, how do we put hotspots in the billboards? Like, man, it's, it's tough. Cause if they're, you know, I think of, I always think of the classic case between San Diego and Phoenix is the, 8 interstate and it goes through some pretty mountainous terrain where there's there's nothing around. I don't think there's a way to put in enough hotspots to where there's there's enough earnings to kind of make it worthwhile, but you have to provide that coverage so that when you're tracking a package or whatever you're tracking, it's there. Okay, so that's going to come probably from satellite from non-terrestrial sources. Cool. That's right.
2: And you and you can get power via solar. So you can get some power out there.
0: It's it's always like the funny thing in San Diego's it's like, oh, we have so much sun. I don't think about it. It's so a 30-watt panel would be fine or a 10 watt panel in some cases, but a lot of people don't have sun. So many other many other ways. Um, so this speaks in part also to this idea that um, helium is is really kind of just two parts. Like it's pioneering this blockchain meets meat space thing. And it's going to do that, and it's focused on wireless. You guys aren't going to do compute. You guys aren't going to do storage. You're not going to do like hosting of, of decentralized apps. You guys are doing all wireless stuff. So it's going to be LoRa, 3G, 4G, 5G, like every kind of radio wave you can think of, Helium is going to apply the same tokenization principle to it.
2: The course we're taking today is ensuring that HT and the two-token model, the burn and mint equilibrium, can support additional wireless protocols, right? And there's a lot of work to do there. It doesn't, um, you know, we, we have to figure out how to support higher bandwidth and the costs of bandwidth at different protocol levels. So there's, there's some work there, I think, that we have to do. Uh, and the team is working on it. The community is working on it. So those are some things I would look out for um, in the near future. Because I think ultimately... The way, the way in which our entire community wins, not and I think beyond this goes beyond just sort of in the next few years getting sensors and cell phones and smartphones and iPads to use the healing network. Ultimately, whether it's you know IoT or five G or Wi Fi, those are the obvious ones.
0: Right.
2: Ultimately, imagine if you know the H and T token. And the data credit system becomes the default currency for all data transfer on the internet. That that's where I feel like Web3 can come to fruition.
0: That's a that's a pretty big vision.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, but that's where we should go, right? I mean that's that's what I think that's what you need for complete data and privacy or data sovereignty and and privacy. You you need to own your access to the internet and maybe you need to own a part of the internet and how do you do that well you can own you can own part of it if, right if you're you're a holder of hnt and your data credits are how how it how currency is how data is exchanged across the internet
0: right so i mean and that's probably where the the telcos or or any of those big industries are like holy smokes these guys are going to If we're not careful, they're going to crush us. So that that kind of gets them pretty worried. How do you, how do you manage that?
2: I love, I love the sort of like what, you know, the community coined as the people's network, telcos are people too. They're made up of people, (laughs) individuals. right? Right. And like I mentioned earlier, when we, when we speak to the different, um, telecommunications companies, everyone's very cordial, very friendly, very curious. And many times, the employees in there are mining h already. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? So if you think about it, yes, they're a centralized entity, and they're operating sort of as status quo or how it's always been done. But the people in there are still people, and they do understand the idea that they, too, can own a part of this network. And that, I think that ownership is very important. Uh, certainly for Web three, uh, and and it's naturally important for everyone. Even you know people that work in large telecommunications companies, they're just people too. And so I think I think you have to think about this as how do we you know how do we change behavior over time? It's not going to happen overnight, right, Nick? Think like an industry that's been operating like a telecommunications industry for over a hundred years or one hundred and fifty years or whatever it is now isn't just going to change overnight however with the people pushing for change and disruption it could it could change and i you know my my bet is like we can measure this in like a decade or two hopefully within a decade that i i continue to work at helium we can start to see this happen but i i think the change will come over time and it's It's the Helium Network and the People's Network helping augment, you know, coverage for dish networks, for other large communications companies where we can provide, you know, coverage in rural areas, like you mentioned, along highways or in in forests and farmlands. And we can provide super dense coverage in high urban areas, inside of large buildings, uh, Empire State Building in New York City or, you know, inside of stadiums. Uh, in Atlanta, it doesn't matter, right? Like helium and the helium ecosystem can be that, and we can start by proving ourselves by proving that we can add value, we are a great alternative, and then let's just see where it goes from there. You know, we have right. we have a couple of years, maybe decades to work on this. Yeah,
0: I mean, one of the things that that comes kind of pushback from the telcos is that helium is still don't don't get your dander up on this, but that helium is still kind of a toy. Um, is that that's what I've heard. I think I was talking to Crown Castle in the spring and we were talking about putting up a hotspot on one of their Santa Ana places, like overlooking LA and they they wanted some ridiculous amount. And then they said to me on the conversation, I think their engineer was like, hey, just full disclosure, I've got a helium hotspot running on my roof. And I'm thinking, well, why are you guys talking to me? And I'd said to them, and it's a little bit insulting. It's like, I think you guys are going to get gutted by helium, but I'd, I'd love to help you with that transition and, and teach everything I'm, that I've learned about helium and maybe it gets better for you. And they kind of laughed it off. But I can see that, you know, over time that if one of the goals, if I'm hearing it of helium is that everyone gets, has kind of control over the the value of their data flow and helium will be the measure of that value or the HNT will be kind of how that value is yeah measured. That's a, that's a pretty big threat to the, to the telcos. I, I don't, I'm curious to see how they see it as well. If they're still seeing it as a toy or if they're like, oh, we need to get on board with this. I mean, obviously dishes.
2: Yeah. It, and it's, it's natural. I just, you know, I've worked at, you know, established companies in my past career. And it's a, it's just a natural um, way of thinking that, Hey, you know, um, the way, the way that things have always worked has worked well. If it's not broken, why fix it? Right. But that's a you know very singular point of view. It may work well for you or for for them, but it doesn't work well for everyone. Right. And and I think this is where I feel like you know what democracy really works. Let the people's voice be heard. Does it is it really working well for everyone? Well, let's see. Let the individuals make their choice. You decide. Don't listen to me. Who who am I to say things are good or not good? I'm just one one perspective, one voice. Let's hear from everyone and let the people decide. And so I think we'll see, right? Nick, I don't know. I can't see the future, but what I can see just based on the amount of conversations I've had anecdotally with both the telecommunications as well as members of our community, I think the industry as a whole of communications, is ripe for change. It's ready for disruption. And I feel very fortunate that helium is at the right place at the right time with the right technology and a right ecosystem to make a difference. Because we're not the first ones to try to do this. We're just the first ones to do it with a very different approach.
0: And to be this successful with it. I, I mean, were there other projects that did something like this before? Just in my ignorance, I don't don't know about.
2: No, I mean, I, I thank you for saying successful. I don't know. I wouldn't count on it yet. I don't think we're successful yet. Like I said, we're so early. The jury is out, right? Maybe the uh, Crown Castle guys are correct. Maybe this is just a toy for now, um, and I'm okay with that. By the way, I'm not uh, I'm not offended <laughs> at all. But you and I and the members listening, um, we all know. We know what this is about, and if you know, you know, right? It's okay. There's so there's so much more to do and there's so much work ahead of us. It's it's easy to say, oh, you know I Look, we're at four hundred thousand. You you check your H T price, like, this is great, you know, who who knew? But I, I don't I don't think any of us in a, in this ecosystem should be satisfied until we see indicators of change and disruption and those will come they'll be in your face when you see it and the, the value of our network will reflect it
0: yeah and so that'll be kind of the, the negative side where you have one of the larger fleets in i think in la got a call from t-mobile was a, couple, <laughs> a couple weeks ago saying like hey we're we're shutting off all of your stuff we've detected helium activity on your routers we're not going to support that and then I, I haven't followed up with those guys to see how they worked that out but they had like a week to fix it interesting see that kind of continuing to come where. Cox or whatever the um, ISP is, is saying, hey, we've detected helium activity on your, on your network. We're going to shut down your internet connection, you know, unless we see that stop, because they're they're seeing, they may see a threat from that. So let's see, I'd, I'd like to get off this kind of threat thing and talk a little bit about the path that you guys have, have really blazed, because it's the first um, blockchain meets meets space project that I, that I know of. Um, certainly that's been as successful as you guys have been so far. So there's like a there's a public trail of of breadcrumbs as far as mistakes made and kind of successes. If you're looking at companies like uh, Planet Watch or uh, Map Metrics or I think Weather FX um, or even oh it looks like kind of a competitor in in Revofi, um, you guys have this really cool open source mentality. Is what what do you kind of look back over your shoulder at those followers who are tokenizing kind of physical assets or physical transfer of information, and tell them as far as like, hey, do this, don't do that, you know, embrace this and and ignore that.
2: I think everyone can work with us. I don't. I don't. And this includes all of these other projects you mentioned. And Hive Mapper is another one of those doing something really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Demo, also another one doing something interesting. I think these folks can leverage what we've already created you know, we don't have certain things that they may need. Like we don't, you know, we're not very mature on our like smart contracts or, you know, we're not a platform like that. That's easy to connect to. That's not specific to a physical world, right? Like connecting a sensor, but there's, but there's definitely opportunities for us to expand that. And I know our team has been looking at that and thinking through how, how do we do that? Uh, So, so that some of these folks like a hive mapper or demo can, can leverage the helium network beyond just sort of you know low power connectivity or 5g connectivity because um, they're they're trying to build something that's a that's a very application focused um level and so i think i think we're because we're we're open source helium's always open-minded about what we could do and how we can you know advance and evolve the blockchain but i think like I said from the you know beginning, you know we're trying to fly fly the plane so that we don't crash, <laughs> right. Nick. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it's it's believe it or not, pretty hard to do that with you know fifty people in the company, uh, like thirty of whom are engineers. Right, so we literally have thirty engineers. So it's <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot to take on for thirty people.
0: It's incredible, right? And are you guys are you guys have to be hiring or have you kind of stuck to the thing like hey, it's it's more work to get new people in here. We're
2: we're trying, right? We're trying. It's just a very specific skill set and, you know, we have a a very, you know, highly specialized language that we use in Erlang. So, it's tough. <laughs> it's, there's only so many out there, right, that that can do this, but I think, you know, those projects and those companies who are aspiring to do something some like kind of adjacent to what we're doing. Like plant, you mentioned Plant Watch, super interesting what they're doing. I think there's definitely points of intersection where we can assist each other. We certainly don't think of anyone that you mentioned as competitors or anything like that at all.
0: Although I think RevoFi will definitely get compared to you guys because you're both going to compete for the Wi-Fi space, but they're doing, they're doing other stuff that's different. I'm, I'm excited to kind of talk to them and, and help people understand like, hey, this is all part of a giant wave of the tokenization of information flow. I Man, I can't imagine it'd be a great idea for someone to come along now and be like, I'm going to compete with Helium. Like, <laughs> they've got a head start, but I think I can beat them. I just don't see that being a, a super smart play.
2: It would be hard for me to say you shouldn't try because we, along our journey, like we were told we we're idiots or we were crazy or we were lying You know, we heard it all. You know, yeah. all the naysayers were there. I'm not going to do that to revo fire anyone else. Like, you right. know, you want, you have a great idea. You believe that you it. can do something go, Yeah, go for it. And if you want to use our our technology, use it. It's a, it's open source. It's free T- take it. We're not going to stop you.
0: Right. There's some parts of it. Cause I'll get some kickback on this for sure is, is that there's some parts that just aren't super open. And that's really the anti gaming stuff as just at a, at a super high level. How do you think about the, the kind of level of gaming versus Helium's ability to squash it. Do you think that you're like, man, we're really kind of getting behind, or do you feel like at, at this point, like it's pretty reasonable? Obviously, nobody wants any gaming, but that's never going to happen. We're always going to have criminals. We're always going to have kind of bad actors. Yeah. Where do you guys feel you are with with the, the kind of management of of gaming of uh, unfair rewards?
2: To me, this is analogous to an industry I spent a couple of decades in cybersecurity from antivirus to anti spam to threat detection and intrusion threat prevention just like it's endless fraud gaming scams are in every ecosystem where there's value and so we are no different you could take two approaches you could be obtuse and ban and block with prejudice and just block the crap out of everybody <laughs>
0: Yeah, just kinda of like a see it smash it
2: mentality. Of course, of course. And even then I, I would say that brute force is not really effective. Because the the bad actors are incredibly smart. And so I don't think you can just use a blunt force approach to stop them. It's it's sort of a cat and mouse game. What the ecosystem has done, and I say this purposefully, the you know the DY and key contributors to you know our open source stack what they have been working on and have implemented i think are very elegant solutions that try the best to be very thoughtful and intelligent on analyzing what's happening so that we can be very accurate in our you know approach to stopping the gaming or the fraud but that just means we have to take A little more time, right? It's sort of you you spend a little bit more time to be more thoughtful here, so that it takes the adversary a little more time to counteract. (laughs) Right? Right? And so that's, that's the approach we've taken. We're completely aware, we know, right? It's not like we're idiots. We're sitting around not knowing this. (laughs) But like, like I said, we're flying the plane and we're trying not to just shoot bullets everywhere right, <laughs> and, yeah. and cause death to all of us at the same time. Right. And so think of it as like, we've got snipers, we're, we're shooting and we're, we're marked, you know, we're at very high efficacy in our shots. Yep. We, we get headshots only at this moment. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean that bad actors do not have their own snipers, right? We know. This is a full-time thing, Nick. It doesn't stop. It's a full-time thing from us, from the ecosystem, from key contributors to the open source code. And I think a good example for everyone to look at is in the traditional Web2 world, how big is the cybersecurity industry and market in dollars? It's insane. Why is that? (laughs) Because it's a losing battle, you know?
0: Or it's just, a, it's a difficult battle to fight. You guys have hired some of the best, but some of the best won't be hired and they will be bad actors. And so there's just going to be always that, that cat and mouse between. I mean, it, it seems to me as, it, as an outsider that you guys have a pretty good handle on it. There's probably some small percentage that is, you know, from my outside sense, like that's reasonable. There's always going to be cheaters. They're just going to get their little slice. Fine, let it, like there's other things to do.
2: And just so everyone understands, it's an endless, endless fight. It, this will never end. Because as long as you have value in the network, which we all want. We're going to generate more value, then you're going to have bad actors. That's just the nature of things. I I would just say, Nick, make sure everyone that listens to you understands. Never ever share your 12 secret words for your wallet. No one should be asking for that. Ever. Especially anyone from the community. So don't ever share that guys, please.
0: No. No, no, don't don't put that anywhere. Don't just keep yeah. keep that somewhere pretty darn
2: safe. That's yeah, exactly.
0: Does Helium have have any kind of plans for helping new territories um, in acquisition of kind of helium compatible frequency spectrum. Are, are you guys seeing that as part of your mandate is going out to new regions and saying, let me show you how to use, like how to get helium working here? Or is that something where are like, yep, that's kind of their problem and, and we'll be ready when they come to us?
2: Out of sort of the, the amount of resources we have, I mentioned earlier, it's like you know 30 yep. engineers or whatever yep. um, and 50 people at the company, right now, we, we just don't have the power, that we don't have the resources to put the time in to what I would consider more government relations or, or policy relations.
0: Right. And this is
2: a very important area, actually, not just for spectrum, right, allowing unlicensed spectrum for IoT in certain parts of the world, mm-hmm. but advocacy for unlicensed 5G outside the United States. It's incredibly important having unlicensed spectrum in the United States is what's enabling all of us to have the ability to stand up our own, you know, CBRS 5G cell towers. Um, We want that for everywhere, not just the United States, everywhere in the world. So advocacy for that is incredibly important. I think right now we have to rely heavily on our ecosystem to help us drive that, whether it be at manufacturers like SimTech because they get, there's a direct correlation for them, where they can make, they can generate more revenue if they can ship more chips into a region, or potential you know future partners that sell uh, 5G you know CBRS radios. They, it's in their best interest to get more countries to allow a unlicensed version of 5G to exist in in that territory or in that country, yeah. and so I think the incentives are there. The incentives are there to to have parts of our ecosystem go work on that. Helium and DY, we we will eventually want to be involved and we we will eventually help. Right now, we just have to, like I said, keep the plane flying, keep everyone flying and not crash. Um, But as we expand our team and we hire more, We'll be able to do more. We'll be able to do more than just not not crashing and keeping the plane running.
0: Just start doing like loops and acrobatics. Yeah, that's right. That's
2: right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So we'll get there. It's just like I said. It's it's early, all right?
0: Cool. I think it's a it's a great place to wrap it up. But you know the kind of takeaway message there is for me is is look if you have ambition, there is limitless opportunity to work with around, about, above, aboard, all the prepositions regarding helium. Um, there is limitless opportunity to kind of interact and, and grow something that is both your own and a part of the Helium system. So whether that's advocating for new spectrum, or that's figuring out a way to use the network, or that's figuring out a way to make the network stronger or better, man, this is a, a pretty great time to be alive if if you want to be a big, awesome success and, and work with a company that has this kind of super cool um, ethos to it. So thank you, Frank.
2: No, thank you, Nick. Thanks for the kind words and your support. Um, yeah, if you're talking to and, and looking at a bunch of other you know companies and projects that have you know adjacent uh, alignment or similar goals as us, you know, love love to talk to them. You know, get get them get them talking to us, and you know, like I said, we don't we don't think. Of anyone else uh, that's attempting to do what we do as competitors, I think it's good. It's good for all of us if there are more people attempting to disrupt um, this market that we're in. So it's all positive. You know, there's no, there's no sort of no judging, and you know everything we're doing is audacious and crazy some people think we're nuts and so i get it we're not going to judge anyone else
0: love it super cool well thanks so much for your time today i really appreciate you coming on and sharing just some deeper stuff that uh, you might not often find if you're looking for kind of helium public facing information most of it's around miners and antennas and setups and I, i like kind of getting into the background of the business and the really the strategy side so
2: thank you frank appreciate it thank you nick appreciate the time
1: thank you for tuning into the Hotspot. if you love our content don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform And if you want to maximize your impact, leave your honest review on Apple Podcasts. Your support helps us reach more listeners and educate them about the Helium Network.